Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning in verse 37, and reading through verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brendan, brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Good morning. It is good to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for those who are here this morning and well. We have several who are unable to be with us because they are dealing with sickness and we need to remember them in our prayers and our thoughts and see if there's anything that we can do to help them in their time of need. But we are thankful that we have been given a measure of health to be able to worship our God this Lord's Day, this first day of the week. And we're thankful that you're here Especially those that are visiting with us, we're glad that you are here with us this morning and we hope that our services so far have been an encouragement to you and we hope that we're able to glean from God's word this morning. If you would be turning in your Bibles to the book of Acts and Acts the second chapter, that's where we will begin our study here this morning in Acts chapter 2. And you, many times when we look at the subject of first principles like what must we do to be saved that's a, oftentimes a question that we might ask what must i do to become a christian that's another question that we might ask and some people that may be thinking about rendering themselves to be obedient to the gospel of jesus christ that maybe they are reaching an age of accountability maybe they are beginning to realize that they are not in a right relationship with God. Maybe they are beginning to understand some of the concepts of sin and those sorts of things and what the consequences of those actions or those choices might be. Sometimes people, though, they are afraid to take that next step. They are afraid to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, not because they don't know they need to do that, but because they are afraid that they don't know enough to become a Christian. Sometimes we have this very high standard of what we think we need to know before we can become a child of God. And so this morning I want us to ask the question, what must I know before I become a Christian? Because I think it's a different kind of question, isn't it? It's not just a question of what must I do, it's what do I need to know? Is there anything that I need to know? That's another valid question that sometimes people ask and that they are wondering about. Is there anything that I must know before I am a child of God? 
And maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for a number of years. You were baptized a long time ago. Maybe you have, though, wondered at times, did I, was I baptized for the right reasons? Did I know enough when I was baptized? Those are questions that many people have wrestled with and have wondered and asked themselves. And so I hope that you will pay attention this morning. If you have found yourself to be in any of those kinds of categories. Because our goal is to help each and every one of us process and think about baptism and salvation in light of what God's Word has said. This is a very important discussion because it's talking about matters of eternal importance and becoming a Christian and becoming a child of God. And there are members of the Lord's Church that we also need to recognize that sometimes... They begin to argue that what you know about baptism and about what, what your knowledge is before you become a Christian, it's really unimportant just as long as you're baptized, just as long as you have that outward act of obedience. What your knowledge is, they suggest that it's minimal. And so we need to ask ourselves this question. We need to think about this in light of what the Bible says about the subject of baptism and salvation and what we must know before we become a Christian. And if there is any place in the Bible to go to, I think the book of Acts is the, the place to turn whenever we want to try to examine this subject from looking at the subject of baptism and salvation and how we become a Christian. Because the book of Acts is going to give us several examples of those who are baptized. And so what we see in Acts chapter 2, it's the first Pentecost after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here in Acts chapter 2, the Jewish people, they are there in Jerusalem along with the apostles. And it says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so you have the Holy Spirit coming upon the apostles here in Acts chapter 2. And then we get the rest of Acts chapter 2 and where Peter and the apostles are preaching and teaching God's Word. And what I would suggest to you is that after this occasion, whenever the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles, those who are hearing them, they came to realize and they came to know that the Holy Spirit was directing the apostles in their instruction. As you might continue on in Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And so at this point, they're kind of confused because they are hearing these, these men, these fishermen, these Galileans, they're not the most educated, well-trained men. They're hearing them now speak in all these other languages. They're, the people are hearing them speak in these native languages that these men would have been very untrained and unskilled in speaking. And so it says in verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? 
And so there's still this confusion. They don't understand how all of this is happening. But you continue on in verse 14. It says, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. Do you notice what Peter says? Let this be known to you. He says, I want to teach you. I want to offer you instruction. I want to give you the reason why this is happening. And he says, if you're thinking we're drunk, we're not drunk. Verse 15. He says in verse 16, but this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my bond slaves both men and women I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy and he goes on with some other things but what Peter says is that this was spoken of by the prophets the day that the Holy Spirit would be poured out and the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit and so what I would suggest to you is that these people came to understand through the instruction and through the teaching of Peter and the apostles and looking at Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament scripture that the Holy Spirit was the source behind all of this. And so the, uh, these people knew that the Holy Spirit was behind the words that the apostles were speaking that day and giving them the ability. And so they understood that. It wasn't that they came to see that there were just these emotional people and the, the, giving them bodily sensations or anything like that, that the Holy Spirit gave words of instruction, words that would offer encouragement and exhortation. In verse 21, as Peter concludes this quotation from the prophet Joel, he says, And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That all of this is designed to point unto salvation. And that is what Peter first tells these people that they need to know. They needed to understand that the Holy Spirit was giving the apostles words of instruction pertaining to the salvation through Jesus Christ. And Peter then goes on to talk about Jesus. As he said in verse 21 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then you see, if you follow Peter's uh, thinking here in this sermon, he then goes on to define who the Lord is. He introduces us to the Lord is that we must call upon. And he says in verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know. You see that Peter, he says, you know that Jesus of Nazareth, that he was sent by God and that God worked through him with signs and miracles and wonders. And so these people, they came to know who Jesus was. They understood that Jesus was a miracle worker. If nothing else, that what you see throughout the Gospels as you read about the life and the accounts of Jesus is that he was this miracle worker that he did all sorts of wonders and signs and what is interesting if you go and you read all of those things what ended up happening people who did not believe in Jesus they could never discount the miracle could they 
they could never say, well, that just didn't happen. When they're blind, people who had been blind since birth were all of a sudden able to see. They can't just discount that or discredit it, could they? But what they tried to do was circumvent who, that Jesus was not working for God, but that Jesus was working for Satan. They called him Beelzebul. That he was in league with Satan. And Jesus, he would rebuke them. You'll perhaps remember the words and the famous statement that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And that was not Abraham Lincoln who said that. <laughs> he was reading his Bible when he said that. Because Jesus was trying to get us to see that he was not in league with Satan. He was working on behalf of God. And Peter, he says that you know Jesus of Nazareth. That you have seen Him, you have seen the miracles, you have heard about Him, and that you yourselves know of His work, and that God has sent Him. And then they also came to understand that they themselves were guilty of putting Jesus to death. In verse 23, he says, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And so they came to recognize that they were guilty of crucifying and rejecting God's Son. That they were the ones who had blood on their hands. They were the ones who had put him to death. They had rejected him. They were sinners, guilty of murder. But of course, that's not where this ends either. Because then they came to know that Jesus had been raised from the dead. In verse 24, Peter goes on, But God raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. And he goes on quoting from David in the Psalms, in Psalm 16, in verse 25, he says, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exulted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." That David prophesied of the Messiah and his resurrection. And so what you see so far, what the people here in Acts chapter 2 have come to know, that they are realizing as they listen to this sermon, they are coming to know that the Holy Spirit was behind the words that the apostles were teaching. And this was something that was coming from God. It was divine in origin. They knew that Jesus had been sent by God. They knew that they had been guilty of crucifying and rejecting God's Son. That they were guilty of sin and murder. They knew that, they had been, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And if you think about what Peter is saying, that if someone there could show that Jesus was still dead and that he was still buried, that he had never been raised from the dead, why didn't they correct Peter right then and there? Why did they say, Peter, you're a fraud. Hold up. You're lying to us. This is just some great conspiracy. 
They don't do that, though. You continue on in this sermon, you see what else they came to recognize. They come to know that Jesus was exalted to sit on David's throne. As you continue on in verse 29, where Peter continues in this sermon, he says, Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. And so he says, if you think that David was talking about himself, you're mistaken. We can go to his tomb, we can see where he is buried. He's still there. He says in verse 32, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. And he continues on talking about Jesus having been exalted in verse 33, to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured forth this which you both see and hear. They knew that Jesus had been exalted to sit on David's throne as king. And they continue to recognize that there is now something that they must do. After they hear about who Jesus is, after Peter declares to them in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Notice there in verse 36 what Peter says, Let all the house of Israel know for certain. that This is about their knowledge, what they understood, what they came to believe. And so they ask in verse 37, what shall we do? They understood that they needed to do something, didn't they? They had this knowledge that there was something that was going to be required of them and expected of them. And so Peter tells them in verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized. Peter tells them two things that they must do. You must repent and turn from your sins. And that repentance, it begins in the mind. It's a change of your mind that leads to a change in action. A change in your life. A change in the decisions that you make. And so they came to understand that they needed to repent and that they also needed to be baptized. That word baptize or that baptism... It is the Greek word baptizo, and it means immersion. It's not a sprinkling or a pouring. And so they understood that the mode of baptism was immersion. They came to understand its purpose because Peter says that they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And they also came to understand that baptism's saving power is not in the water, But it's baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who can provide salvation. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles would say on this occasion, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. They came to understand that the authority of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, He is the one who is able to offer forgiveness of sins. 
And so they came to understand that baptism's purpose was for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism's mode is immersion in water. And that baptism's saving power was not sourced in themselves or in the water, but it is in the authority and the person of Jesus Christ. And then they also came to understand and know that all of those who had been baptized were then their brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the end of Acts chapter 2 is a very beautiful ending. It shows this new community that we have, that this new family that we are a part of. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, So then, those who had received His word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were added to something. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, find that they were added to the church and the Lord was adding them to the church and so you have this new community this new congregation this new group of people that are spending their time and sharing their time and their resources and all their things all their belongings with one another and so you see that in Acts chapter 2 what they knew they knew several things they knew about who Jesus was. They knew about the power of the Holy Spirit giving words to the apostles. They came to understand that they were guilty of sin, that they had crucified Jesus. They came to understand that Jesus is now exalted as King and that they needed to do something about it. They needed to repent and be baptized. They came to understand that they are now in this new community, if you will, a new family with brothers and sisters of those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who had been immersed in water. You continue on in the book of Acts, and you just look at several other examples of conversion. In Acts chapter 8, we have the eunuch from Ethiopia. In Acts chapter 8, and in verse 31, as Philip has come to him, the Spirit has brought Philip to this eunuch. And he, this eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip asks him, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guide me or help me? And so Philip answers him and tells him about Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Isaiah 53 is this beautiful passage that we're probably very familiar with, many of us are. And it talks about the humiliation of Jesus, the Messiah, and how he was led as a sheep to the slaughter. How a lamb is silent before its shearer. An obvious allusion to the cross and the death of Jesus and his sacrifice. So, what Philip does is he preaches Jesus to him, he talks to him about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And somewhere along the way, he must have gotten to the subject of baptism because he. The eunuch says, look, here's water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? 
And so the end of this account in Acts chapter 8 and verse 38, Philip and the eunuch, they go down into the water and Philip baptizes him. In Acts chapter 9, just a few verses down, we are introduced to Saul of Tarsus and his persecution against the church. How he is going in an attack against Christians, against those who believe in Jesus. But then there's this radical shift in his thinking. He sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. He goes into the city of Damascus. He meets with a man named Ananias. And he is there baptized by Ananias. And in Acts chapter 9 and in verse 20, then Saul of Tarsus, who was persecuting Jesus, who was killing Christians, then he begins preaching in the name of Jesus, declaring that He is the Son of God. A radical change. Where he began to know about Jesus as God's Son. In Acts chapter 10, when we are introduced to Cornelius... It's a very interesting passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 10 and in verse 34, whenever Peter is preaching to Cornelius, he tells him that I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears Him and does what is right is welcome to Him. The word which He sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. Notice what Peter says there as he's talking to Cornelius. He says, you yourselves know about Jesus. That you've heard about Jesus. You are aware of who Jesus is and His teaching, and His influence, and all that has gone on in Galilee. He says in verse 38, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with Him. What Cornelius did not know was that he was a candidate to be baptized and to, to receive the benefits of being a Christian. And so at the end of this chapter, Peter commands him in verse 48, and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay on for a few days. And so while Peter or Cornelius, he had come to know about Jesus' life, it was his lack of knowledge here that prevented him from full obedience. In Acts chapter 16, we have a couple of conversion examples for us. First, there's Lydia, who is converted. In Acts chapter 16 and in verse 14, we're told that the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And in the very next verse, it says in verse 15, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. Through the instruction of Paul, she came to understand that she needed to be baptized. Later on, as Paul is in Philippi, he is later imprisoned. 
And in verse 30, the jailer, after there was an earthquake and everything, you'll perhaps remember, but in verse 30, this jailer, he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told him to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. He continues on in verse 33, and he went on in the very, the very hour of the night. He was baptized. He came to realize that he needed to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins. And so what you begin to see is that several people, they knew things about Jesus. They knew about his sacrifice. They knew who he was, that he was the Son of God. They knew about his life. And they came to realize that there was something that they must do. You continue on in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, in the conversion of the Ephesians, and this is perhaps one of the most curious examples of conversion in the book of Acts. Because Paul comes to the city of Ephesus. And he, it says in Acts chapter 19 and verse 1, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And so we're told that these are disciples. We're not told who, of whom they are. Disciples of whom they follow. I think we'll find out an answer here in just a minute. But it, said, it continues on in verse 2. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul, he is trying to do some investigating, if you will. He wants to ask them, has, Have you guys been given the Holy Spirit? And so even though they have been immersed, even though they have been baptized, as we will find out, that he asked them in verse 3, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Aha. So these are disciples of John. They are not disciples of Jesus yet. And so even though they have been immersed, even though they have been baptized, they did not know about the Holy Spirit. They said, we don't, we've never even heard about a Holy Spirit. And so these people are not yet Christians. He goes on in verse 4, Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so what is interesting here is that as Paul is kind of investigating and asking some questions and things like that, that it was their lack of knowledge that actually ends up revealing a whole lot, doesn't it? It's their lack of their understanding and knowledge of the Holy Spirit and about the baptism of Jesus. And what is concerning to, to me, especially when we come to an example like this, where it seems that their lack of knowledge was certainly preventing them from a full understanding of what they needed to do in order to be saved. That we have some people who have begun to, begin to argue, and these are Christians who begin to argue that as long as someone is sincere and as long as they are baptized at some point, or even if they're not baptized, you know, they're going to be all right. 
It's kind of that classic conundrum. Have you ever been asked whenever you're discussing with a friend of yours, maybe, who you're trying to convert and teach that they need to be baptized? And they always like to pose that question. Well, what if, I, what if you're right? And what if I'm on the way to be baptized, but I, I die in a car wreck and I'm not able to do it? And we have even some brethren who are beginning to argue that, well, as long as they're being sincere, God will save them anyway. And look, my hope and prayer is that someone like that, in that kind of case, that God is merciful. But what I cannot do is I cannot change the message of the gospel and the requirements that God has upon those who are living. For me to be able to give the impression that you are saved based just upon sincerity and a pious attitude, even if you are unimmersed, that would be giving an unscriptural answer and a false hope that I just could not do. Other brethren are arguing that if we would say anything about a knowledge that is required prior to baptism, that it places too much emphasis on our human intellect. And yet what we've already seen throughout the book of Acts is that there are certain things that people must know before they can be obedient in a true biblical way. A person cannot be taught wrong and baptized right. You see that clearly in Acts chapter 19. Now, there is a connection between knowledge and understanding and our obedience. Because in Ephesians chapter 19, the lack of knowledge of the Ephesians, of the authority of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, shows that there is a very important link between knowledge and obedience. Faith and obedience, it doesn't occur by accident. This isn't easy believism. This is something that we have to understand that there is a link, there is something connected with our knowledge and our faith. And so whenever you see that, you think about baptism and what we must know. We have to come to understand a few things that I believe before we can be a Christian. Before we can be are ready to obey. In Hebrews chapter 11, just a very basic thing where we have to begin. In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 6, he says, and without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. We have to first believe in God. Before we are ready to be baptized and to become a child of God, we have to believe that God exists. That may seem pretty fundamental and pretty foundational, and I know that it is. But what we have to be ready, we have to know that. We have to believe that. You need to understand some things about sin. In Acts chapter 2, they came to understand that they were guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. That they were guilty of crucifying 
Jesus. That they had sinned and had rejected God's Savior. And they also came to understand that Jesus was the one who died and that He was raised and that He is exalted and He is reigning as our King. They came to understand some things about Jesus that are critical. And then they came to understand that they needed to be baptized. And when we think about baptism, I think baptism is a big hang-up for many of our denominational friends. And we need to be clear, baptism is not dependent upon the one who's baptizing. Baptism is not dependent on what my family believes. That's why some people have gone to the error of infant baptism. They know that the, the child is unable to believe at that stage in infancy. But it's really kind of more for the family's benefit. that They're pledging that we're going to raise this child in this way. Not baptism in the New Testament is not dependent upon what my family says. Baptism is not dependent upon a perfect understanding of all biblical teachings. And that's so important. Now while there are some things that we do need to know before we are ready to be baptized, it's not suggesting that we have to know everything about every subject in the Bible. And even if we do have this understanding of certain things, we don't have to have a perfect or a complete understanding of all biblical teachings. Baptism is also not a church ordinance. We need to understand that as well. That baptism is, is not just a church sacrament. It's not just a ceremony. It's not just something that we do to make you a part of the church. It's something that is about salvation and God's grace and God's mercy. Baptism is not earning your salvation. What baptism is and what baptism does, it is an expression of faith in Christ. Baptism is an accessing of God's work of grace. Baptism is connected with the transformation of conversion. All you have to do is look at the examples in the book of Acts and all the ones that we've looked at in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 19. And you can see that there was this transformation and all the conversion. That's, and all of them, baptism is a part of that. You never see examples of conversion without baptism being a part of it. That should tell us that it's a very significant moment in our conversion. Baptism does save us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It does put us into Christ, as Paul would say in Galatians chapter 3. And baptism does remove the guilt of sin. In Acts chapter 22, as the Apostle Paul was describing his conversion. And he recites the words of Ananias to him. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it says, Now why do you delay? Get up 
and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. And your sins will be washed away when you're baptized. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That baptism is this removal of the guilt that has come upon your conscience. The guilt of sin. And this morning, if you are not a child of God, if you have never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, baptism is important. And we see that here. And while what someone must know to become a Christian, I don't know if there is an exhaustive list, but I think we have touched on several things that you must know. Namely, you must know about Jesus. You need to know that Jesus is your Savior. That He came to this earth and He gave His life for you and for your sins. You need to know that He is now reigning as King because He was raised from the dead and He was exalted to sit at God's right hand. And that you need to give your life and your obedience to Him. We're, we want to help you do that. We want to encourage you to give your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to become a child of God. To be baptized in water for the washing away of your sins. That God in His grace would save you and forgive you. This morning, if you have made that step and you've, you have become a Christian, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord, you've turned away, will you not come back to the Lord? We want to encourage you to come back, to find God's grace and His mercy that's available for you as well. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?